Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Today we're going to be hearing commands for young women. That's the sermon title, commands for young women. Now before we get into the commands for young women, I want to remind you of the song we just sang and the prayer I just prayed, which tells us that the blood of Jesus has washed away all of our sins. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sins? Is it our obedience to the commandments? No. What can wash away our sins? Is it the blood of Jesus? Yes. And in fact, he has spilled his blood and we have been forgiven. We have been set free and the bonds of chain, the chains and the bondage to sin, of sin, to sin have been broken. And we are now free to obey. So we talk about commandments to young women today. We're remembering the foundation that we have, which is forgiveness in Christ Jesus. So we don't ever obey. We try to get from God, but we try to, but we obey because we have been given and given freely from God. We are justified now, so we get the great joy of obeying him. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. And so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Young women in our world today are under absolute assault. They're under assault. It's everywhere. And sometimes when you're under assault, you don't even know you're under assault. And so the first step to realizing that there is a war on women in this world is to recognize, wow, there's a war on women. You have to have the veil pulled back. You have to be able to see with spiritual eyes what's going on in the world. And some women who are not even Christians have recognized that there have been lies given to women. And for some reason, these lies have not been good for the women who have believed them. Listen to a few of these quotes from some secular ladies that do not claim to be Christian in any way. But listen to what they say about the modern woman. Women have more money, more career choices, and more freedom than ever before. So how come we are all so wretchedly miserable? Our grandmas could be forgiven, or could, could be forgiven for shaking their heads and asking what on earth is wrong with women today. We have on the surface... Never had it so good. We're healthier, wealthier, more educated, more liberated. We have wider choices and broader horizons. We're financially and in many cases emotionally independent. And we have more freedom over our sexual and reproductive health. We are on the face of it extremely lucky. Why then are women today so unhappy? Why after 40 years of fighting for equality is the female species growing increasingly dissatisfied with life? Why are women 10 times more likely to be depressed than they were half a century ago? This is common grace through observation from a woman who's recognizing the promises that we have been given are in fact lies. Why are women so unhappy? There's another study, the paradox of declining female happiness. Betsy Stevenson and Jared Justin Wolfer say this, by many objective measures, the lives of women in the United States have improved over the past 35 years. Yet we see that measures of subjective well-being indicate that women's happiness has declined both absolutely and relative, to, and relative to men. The paradox of women's declining relative well-being is found across various data sets, measures of subjective well-being, and is pervasive among demographic groups in industrial countries. Relative declines in female happiness have eroded gender, ha gender gap a gender gap in happiness in which women in the 1970s 70s typically reported higher subjective well-being than men. More common grace. Why is this not working? One more. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth it. 
Susan Vinker says this, of all the lies feminists tell, the idea of career success is more fulfilling than marriage and family is by far the greatest lie. It's almost impossible to convey the depth of this lie, for it too began in the 1960s, this time with Betty Friedan's insistence that being a wife and a mother is akin to being in a comfortable concentration camp. This was sold on bookshelves by the tens of thousands. Being at home as a wife and mother is equal to being in a comfortable concentration camp. Since that time, American women have been walloped with a steady diet of words and images that drove, drove Freedom's arguments home. Humans are pack animals. We need to feel, the in, feel a part of the group and feel good about ourselves. Some of us are content to stand apart from the crowd, but most are not. Ergo, cultural messages matter. Women are surprised to discover that work isn't nearly as satisfying as they were led to believe. Since mothering is no longer revered or understood to be something a woman should want to do, let alone should do, women are surprised to discover how heart-wrenching it is to leave their babies and return to work outside of the home. They're surprised to discover that work isn't nearly as satisfying as they were led to believe. Women typically, by the way, believe that man's work is more noble and admirable. Women typically long for that kind of significance. Men typically look at the work that women do and think it's easier. Both think that their other's work is easier, which is a lot of conflict. The same sense of unease is felt by single women who can find a man whom she can settle down. Careers aren't fulfilling at all, it turns out, if you wind up at bed alone at night. Too many women map out their lives with work at the center and eventually wish they hadn't. Sadly, and my inbox is loaded with emails from women who tell me that they wish someone had told them this sooner. So here I am saying as loudly as I possibly can, women, you have been lied to for years, and that's why you are so unhappy. There is only one solution. Flip your priorities. Put love and family, not work, at the center, and you will win in the game of life. That's what I did, and it made all the difference. Again, a non-Christian woman recognizing the lies of feminism. Young women have two options. There really are just two options. You can either listen to the world and revile the word of God, or you can listen to the word of God. Older women have the responsibility to teach these younger women to listen to God's word. Teach them how to be women. We looked at this last week. Older women are commissioned. They're going to be teachers of younger women, either good teachers or bad teachers. And older women are commissioned to be godly older women and teach younger women how to be godly younger women. It's not easy to be a godly woman. You need guides. You need mothers, a real mother and a spiritual mother. You need other women within the church who will come alongside of you and say, here's how you do this thing called biblical womanhood, godly womanhood. Older women are to teach younger women how to be happy women. The Instagram, put yourself First, stuff will not work. The you are enough, just the way you are lines don't work. Living like a man for some reason does not work for women. So there's a better way. We see it today. Learn from godly older women. Look at it in verse 4 again. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children. It's critical, critical that you get this, young ladies. God tells older women to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. That means you have to have godly older women in your life. It's critical for young women to find godly older women that can mentor them, that they can learn from. 
It works best when you have a mother or a grandmother, or even a great-grandmother, to teach daughters and granddaughters and great-granddaughters the ways of the Lord. But if you don't have that, you have to turn and look within the church and find, here are some godly moms that might not be my mom. There's some godly grandmothers that may not be my grandmother. But I'm going to do whatever I can to learn from them. I'm going to position myself in such a way that I can learn all that I can from this godly older woman. Godly older ladies in the church are the ones that you need to learn from. Now, not all older women are godly. It's the same thing with men. Not all older men are godly. There's a lot of ungodly older men in the world, and there's a lot of ungodly older women in the world. We, you know, chicken lady last week? There's a lot of chicken ladies, you know? I know all the sin you've been doing. You look just like that chicken. You don't know what I'm talking about. You weren't here last week. I'm going to leave you in the dark. But it was funny. But a lot of churches have chicken ladies. And they're critical and they're mean. You don't want to learn how to be a woman from somebody that's mean and critical and you don't want to be around. You don't want to be like that. We learn from our teachers and we become like our teachers. And so if the ladies that you're learning from are critical chicken ladies, you'll end up being a critical chicken lady and you don't want to be that. You need to get your, your feminine, womanly training from the good ones. Find God the older, older women. They're there, they're out there, you got to find them. What is the young woman's training regiment? What are these older ladies to be teaching the younger ladies? You know, younger ladies, you're looking at this. You're going to be taking notes. This is what I need to be learning. Older ladies, you're looking at this. This is what I need to be teaching. Verse 4. Love your husband and children. We're still there. The enemy hates when women love their husband and their children. The enemy hates this. The enemy, the devil, hates this. Satan loves to target God's commandments. He loves this. Whatever God says, the enemy comes in and opposes. The flesh and the world also oppose the commandments of God. So whatever God says is good, right, and beautiful, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to say, that's not right. There's a better way. Find the better way. So in this process of learning from older women how to be young, godly women, you have to learn how to love your husband and your children, and that requires training. It's a training regimen. You've got to learn how to love your husband, how to love your children. Why do you have to learn? Why do you have to train? Because loving your husband and loving your children is difficult. It's difficult. So what's easy? What wouldn't require training? Well, what's easy is criticizing your husband. Isn't that easy, ladies that are married? Like, isn't it easy to find things about your husband that are annoying? <laughs> it's easy to find things that are annoying about your spouse. It's very easy. It's very easy to be critical. What about complaining about your kids? That's pretty easy, isn't it? If, if you have ever found yourself saying, you know, the parents that are that are saying my kids are sucking the life out of me. Stop saying that. That's sinful and foolish. But it's so easy to say things like that. By all means, don't ever let your children hear anything like that. I was talking about that one time around the around, like around the, the table. I had a friend of mine that was there, actually a family family member that was there. He's like, "Whoa, oops, I said that yesterday." Well, think I'd stop it. Stop saying that. But it's easy to complain about your kids, isn't it? They're not as well behaved as. Presley kids, they're not as well behaved as, you know, whatever, Presley's not here today. I would embarrass, embarrass them. Somebody text them. Isn't it amazing? They just walk in the front row, 
sit politely and just obey. It's just amazing. I love that, you know, when you talk to them about that too, they're like, it's just God's grace. Our kids are great. It's easy to complain about your kids. It's just easy to do that. Ladies, you don't need training in that kind of stuff. That comes natural because the enemy is shooting those arrows and because the flesh is rising up. These are, this is the natural drift of the human heart is to things like that. You don't need training to be critical. You don't need tra training to complain about your kids. The enemies of the, or the arrows of uh, the enemy come and uh, the thoughts of like, they don't, they don't appreciate what I'm doing. They don't even recognize the work that I'm putting in. These thoughts come in, the flesh rises up, it's meaningless. This is never going to be fulfilling to me. It's just the same thing every day. Homemade meals, mac and cheese, hot dogs. It just seems so meaningless. Love is not easy. It really isn't. Love requires sacrifice. Love doesn't require just waking up in the morning and coasting through life. Godly older women have learned how to love their husband and how to love their children through the difficulty of it. They've learned the lessons. And you find those go godly older women and they've learned these lessons and you need to learn from them. Love requires sacrifice. For you to love those that are in your home, it's going to require sacrifice every single day. Sacrifice is not exclusive to women, but specifically today, as we talk about younger women, be reminded that as men will have to sacrifice in masculine ways, ladies, you're going to have to sacrifice if you're going to love your husband well and love your children well. Godliness always requires that, always. Godliness is never on the other end of self-indulgence. Godliness comes through sacrifice. On a practical note, when you think about your home, loving your husband and children, ask yourself and get an answer to this question. Who gets the best of you in your life? Is it your home? Is it your husband? Is it your children? Or is it those you work with? Is it your friends? Is it your family that's not your family family? Is it the peripheral family? Parents, grandparents, all that kind of stuff. Or is it your husband and children? Who gets the best of you? So ladies, in this training regimen of being a godly young woman, buckle up. If you want to live as God would have you live, you got to submit to the training regimen of loving your husband and children. It's going to require sacrifice each and every day. Verse 5. Not only are you to have the training regimen of loving your husband and children, verse 5 it says to be self-controlled. This word self-control is interesting because it's given a command given to older men, older women, younger men, and younger women. It's given to everybody. Self-control. It's listed. Have self-control. Older men and women, younger men and women, all have this expectation that through the power of the Holy Spirit, what's going to come out of them is the control of the self. Their self is not going to be indulged, it's going to be controlled. Think of the messages in the world that are everywhere. Isn't this the exact opposite? Indulge yourself, don't control yourself or deny yourself. But the Christian life is one of self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. Because we have this understanding that the unbridled self is not healthy. The unbridled self is not holy. 
the unbridled self is full of sin and wretchedness. The unbridled self is not good. So we have to have some sort of control through the power of the Holy Spirit of the self. Even the transformed self, even the new creation, creation in Christ Jesus, we're the ones given this command. We, we have to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, control ourselves. So younger women, the question I think rises to the surface, what area of your life do you lack control? And this is going to be as personal as the lady, the number of ladies that are in this room. What area of your life do you lack self-control? What sins do you deal with? Okay, well, write them down and start getting them under control. Bridle yourself. Control yourself. There are many sins that are common to women, but you're going to have individual struggles that are unique to you. And you're going to get encouragement every single day to indulge those vices. And you're going to be told that those vices, those sins, are actually good parts of yourself. If you really explore those parts of yourself, you really give yourself to whatever that is, you'll understand who you truly are. You'll understand how beautiful and wonderful you really are. You'll fully blossom as the woman that you're supposed to be. And if you don't get that rot that's in the self under control, chicken lady's coming. It's coming. And self-control is this interesting thing. It really is. Because for so many people, we have control in one area of our life, but we lack control in another area of our, of our lives. So ladies, you may have mastery over one area of your life that you used to not have mastery over. You might be able to control something that you couldn't control before. Emotions in this particular area of life that you now are really walking in obedience in. And then something else in, in another area of your life that you didn't used to struggle with self-control, but now in this different stage of your life, you're like, why am I struggling to control myself in this area? This is a new area to battle. This is a new area to get under control. And so it's common to have discipline in one area of life, but not have discipline in another area of life. But the goal of the Christian, of the Christian life and Christian living is that the Spirit is bringing out in us. It's Spirit-wrought control of all areas of life, not just some pockets of life. So if I have control of this area, but don't have control over this area, and we only recognize, look, this is great, this is great, this is great, and neglect these other areas, then there's some work to do. To be able to say, God, help me now. You've shown me that this area lacks control. And so ladies, as you're thinking about that area, write it down in your notebook with your colored pencils uh, and, 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 and stickers or whatever. Um, you, you got these things in your life, and you're thinking, okay, this is the area, God, that I need self-control Please give me self-control in this area. And then you work on that. You confess that to your husband. You confess that to your friends. If you're not married, you confess that to other church members. And young ladies that are struggling in areas of self-control, get help around you to gather strength to be able to walk that out and to live with self-control in that particular area. You can ask yourself questions. What gets my emotions? What gets my blood boiling? What gets me angry or upset or ambivalent? And then ask those godly older women to help you get that self-control. And as the Holy Spirit's working, and as the Holy Spirit is bringing help into your life, here's what happens. You start getting self-control in your life as you walk day in and day out. God brings help. Self-control. What else is in this training regimen for young women? Purity. Verse 5. To be self-controlled, pure. Pure. Now, purity culture has got under assault as well. You know, if you're aware of the Twitterverse, and I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I hear about it through other people. Uh, in the internet world, there is an attack on purity culture. It really goes back to this book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye by 
Josh Harris. And Josh Harris has now abandoned the faith, and he's actually used to be a pastor. Now he's on YouTube selling videos of how to deconstruct your faith. He's commercialized his apostasy. Very sad. Well, he went on a rant about how he rejects the book he wrote, which is I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And then there's this big group of people that are very upset and bitter that they had to sit through a, uh, not just I Kissed Dating Goodbye, but a uh, True Love Waits seminar somewhere in YouTube or something. And for some reason, that was highly traumatic for a lot of people, women in particular, that we would have to take vows of abstinence, all of the audacity that we would want purity within the church. Certainly there is a wrong kind of purity culture. That's true, because we want the real deal. We don't want the fake thing. There's always been external conformity to ideas of what purity is. External purity without internal purity is really a sad thing. It really, external purity without the internal thing, it really, it shows internal rot. Internal rot can often come out as religious zeal. But it's not the real thing. It's not the real thing at all. But real purity is a good thing. Internal purity, it always reveals itself externally. Internal purity externalizes. Impurity is first not about external appearance, because the Pharisees missed this. Legalistic brothers and sisters in Christ, to be distinguished from Pharisees, legalistic brothers and sisters in Christ are not Pharisees. Pharisees were not believers. Legalistic brothers and sisters, though, can get up into some sort of pharisaical ways when they imagine that a good woman or a godly young woman is a godly young woman who just looks like a godly young woman externally. That's not the goal. The goal isn't just some sort of external conformity to, there's the purity culture, there's the pure woman, she's covered neck to ankles, and she's pure. That's, that's pure. But real purity is a matter of the heart, and listen to this. Um, it also externalizes in things like what you wear, the things that you say. Real purity culture is a matter of the heart, and it reveals itself in joyful obedience to God in your body externally. Joyful obedience to God in your words verbally that come out of your mouth. Purity. Purity does not look like, there's a lot of things we can say purity doesn't like, but purity, um, I don't know if, like, Brian, if you follow Brian Sauvé, my buddy Brian on, on the internet, he's called the purity guy now or the bikini guy because he was talking about how it is immodest for women to wear bikinis. Let me just say this, men are responsible for their thoughts. They should not be lusting. No matter what's in front of them, you gotta, there's a battle in the mind. But bodies being exposed by women is immodesty. And modesty does have a definition. It's not so neutral that we can't say, well, we don't know what immodesty is and from culture to culture. Naked bodies with barely any clothing covering it, that's immodest. And this is what happens, the assault that comes. Even a statement like that on the internet right now, that gets you canceled big time because you're not allowed to say anything to women about their bodies, about purity, about modesty, and yet God, has no problem whatsoever saying, ladies, young ladies, you need to walk in purity. There's no problem whatsoever saying that. Purity does not look like uncovered butts and exposed breasts. That's the most controversial thing I'll say until I start talking about being a homemaker. 
and then, <laughs> until I start talking about submission here in a little bit. <laughs> Society tells you that you're free to uncover. That's a lie. Then again, you're never free to lust, no matter what is or is not on the body of a woman. Ever. But women are responsible for externalizing their internal beauty for everyone to see. Verbally, and with the things that they wear, and the way they conduct themselves, that they're going to be women of dignity. <clears throat> women, externalize that beauty within. Externalize it. Let people see it. And I tell you what, a truly godly woman will be a physically attractive woman. She'll be prettier on the outside than if that internal rot was there and coming out, or if she's just trying to be a fake and phony externally holy person. You, you've probably met ladies like this that look like they're always modest dressed, but they're just mean, and you don't want to be around them, and they're cynical, and you're like, lady, I feel sorry for whatever man would ever marry you. <laughs> and I will do some spiritual warfare for him. <laughs> so externalize what's inside. What God is doing inside. On to controversial point number two, working from home. Purity, work from home. Every single woman is called to work. You're not called to be home. You're called to work at home. Workers at home. A homemaker, a home builder. Working from home is there for every single woman. Women are called to work in a, spe in a specific, in a place, which is the home. Men are called to provide for their households. Women never have a commandment from God to provide for, them, for their households, ever. It's nowhere. But a man who refuses to provide for his household, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if a man refuses to provide for his household, he is worse than an unbeliever. Now, judgment in the wrath of God for an unbeliever is hell itself. What, what does it look like to have a judgment that's worse than an unbeliever? And there's a category of an existence that is so bad, and it's the only kind of person that's labeled as somebody that's worse than an unbeliever in all the scriptures, and it is a man who will not provide for his family. Men are given that responsibility. Ladies are called, and we're going to get to the exceptions here in a minute to this, and how this works itself out for single women or for women that are, have grown children and all of that, all the questions that bubble to the surface. But women are called to work from home. Now, by doing this, by working from home, you're actually going to build a household, not just live in a home. If you look at statistics about how much time families or individuals spend in their homes, over the years, what you've seen is people are away from their homes more and more and more to where, where you live is just a place that you sleep. Home is now a place simply to sleep. We do all the things that we used to do at home outside of the home. We're home now and building a household now is a strange and foreign concept. If you say to somebody, hey, are you planning on when you grow up, a young, young woman or a young boy, hey, you plan on building an epic household when you grow up? People are like, what do you mean by that? It's a foreign concept. Our friend Kelly Tungay said one time that she put on her 
questionnaire at the doctor that she's a homemaker, and the doctor thought she meant a home builder. <laughs> like, that she builds homes. She's like, no, 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 I'm a keeper at home. I'm a homemaker. And this idea is under attack. It really is. Don't build a household. Whatever you do, if you want to waste your life away, ladies, this is what the world's saying. You want to waste your life away, build a household. It's under attack by the feminist movement. It's under attack by the devil. Again, the devil just keeps showing up in temptations. Why do you think the government wants women to be at work outside of the home as soon as possible and wants to pay for childcare down to like second, like two and three years old? Why do you think that's the case? The household is under assault. The household's under assault. I heard a guy say one time, you want to be punk rock in 2021? Work hard and have a great family, have a bunch of kids, live in your home, and have your wife work at home well. That's the new punk rock. That's rebelling against society. Because there is an agenda to destroy the household. The world is an absolute war with this. Homes are becoming more and more like a unicorn, imagined but never actually seen. Where are households? They're nowhere. There's a bunch of houses out here. But where is the amazing household that the kids grow up in and want to replicate? They say, I want to build a household like this. I want to grow up the way I grew up. I want my kids to grow up the way I grew up. I want my grandkids to grow up the way my children are grow going to grow up. Home is literally portrayed as death to women. It's a comfortable concentration camp. Is there anything worse than this line? A woman barefoot and in the kitchen. Is there anything worse than that in society? That's like the male chauvinist line. That's what those who hate the patriarchy say, oh, you just want us to be barefoot in the kitchen. Like, well, sometimes. <laughs> Is that the worst thing you can say about me? Gosh, I didn't know the kitchen was that evil and terrible. <laughs> It's funny, there's now a new feminist movement trying to get women back in the kitchen. I kid you not. There's a new movement, Take Back the Kitchen, from like this new progressive feminist who are like, wait a minute, we've given up the kitchen, we need to take this thing back. And I guarantee you, their husbands are like, please. <laughs> They're not married, actually. Uh, those women are probably not married, no doubt. They have like 12 boyfriends. <laughs> So the war is, world is at war. Um, the reason that there is a war in the home, the reason there is a war in trying to like demonize work at home. Like women really think, like the first thought at working at home is that when is it okay to work out, outside of the home? So a lot of women immediately jump to. Okay, working in the home, great, but when's it okay to work outside the home? Because that natural impulse given from birth is I gotta get outside of the home. I gotta get I can't waste my life away being inside of a home. But God calls women there. The health of a society is directly related to the health of the households. The health of a society can never outpace the health of the household. Where there are weak households that don't exist, where there are houses that exist, but no households, that society is on the brink of collapse. It's the same with the church. If you don't have healthy homes, you cannot have a healthy church. Because those homes come and gather at the 
family of God come to gather at the table. They're together in this church. And if you guys are not healthy, if we're not healthy, we're not a healthy church. Doesn't matter how many people are here. Doesn't matter if we got people standing in the streets, windows open, and lining the streets. If we don't have healthy households, we cannot be a healthy church. God calls women home. Every single woman. Now, remember to do this right. You're going to need older women who know how to work at home. Not older women who simply know how to be at home. This is not a call to a lazy life or a purposeless life. Being a homemaker requires brains, creativity, a strong back, mental fortitude, a vision for the big picture. C.S. Lewis said this. Homemaking is surely in reality the most important work in the world. What do ships, railways, mines, cars, Government exists for except people may be fed, warmed, and safe in their homes. The homemaker's job is one for which all others exist. Ladies, the call home is a glorious call. And it's so desperately needed in our world today. Why is the world falling apart? In large part because men told women it's, you can be just like men, you can do what men do, and women have been like, yep, where they've taken the forbidden fruit, they've ran out of the home, and they've not taken loving their husband and children seriously, they've not taken building a household at home seriously. So we have questions, though, when we think about working at home. What about work outside of the home? What about single moms? What about when kids are grown? So let's talk about it. What about work outside of the home? Proverbs 31 teaches us that work outside of the home is not necessarily a bad thing, but it comes after work inside of the home. People talk about the Proverbs 31 lady. She goes and she considers a field and buys it. Why does she consider the field and buy it? It's not first for her clothing business. It's first to take care of her family. She's looking for ways to better take care of her household, so she buys the tools necessary to take care of the household. This would have been from the treasury of the household income. It would have been provided for her by her husband. And she would have recognized that the husband gives her liberty to, to do and to get what she needs to get to make this household an amazing place. From the abundance of what was there in that household treasury, she went out and bought what was necessary to make and beautify this home. So she recognized that she had to take care of her family first. They were not scared of the winter because they were well clothed, because she well clothed them. In fact, in the, in the first part of Proverbs 31, starting in, in you know, that section to about the Proverbs 31 woman starts in about verse 5 or 6. As you get into it, she finds out that her clothing, what she's making for her children, she finds out that this is profitable. But she doesn't do anything yet with that profitable work until later on in the chapter after the family's been taken care of. After the family's been taken care of, you see her goods and services going to the market, to the mer merchant ships. She's recognized this can make money. And so she works and does work outside of the home, going to the merchant ship. And if you're going to a merchant ship and not just the market, it means this is international trade. The work she was doing was really profitable work. It wasn't just the marketplace on the corner. It was going and selling this to a land distant far away. But she was taking care of her family first. Ladies do not have the burden of providing. Single women will get to you in just a second. Here's the deal. Home is first. It's first. That's the principle. You're, what, when you think of your life and your work, ladies, is it first the home or is it first outside the home? 
And I think the order here is, not I think, I know the order here is home first. Home first. If your longing in your heart is out there first, then ask God to change that. If you get more life and energy and joy and, oh man, it's great out there. This is where, this is, this is where it's at. Ask God to change that. There's a time and place for that. But if the home is being neglected, then things are out of order. First, be in home. Be in the home. Work from home. Work hard from home. This is for all women. Ladies, since you don't have that burden of providing, work from home and take care of what God has given you. What about single moms? What about single moms? The church must be committed to helping any single mother be at home as much as possible. There are some ladies, you lose your husband, he dies. Some ladies, you have children and your husband leaves, he's gone. There are certain there's scenarios that come up where there's a lady that's left as the primary caregiver and provider of this household. And we have to do everything we can to support, to help, to make sure that those kids are raised in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. When it comes to the education, we've got to make sure that single moms have options Besides government schools, we have to. If a single mom has to send their kids to the government school because there's no other option in the church, church won't help. That's an indictment on the church. It's an absolute indictment on the church. What about when the kids are grown? Because you, you're working from home. Okay, what about when kids are grown? Because here's the, in the modern woman's mind, here's the question that always comes out. When can I go outside of the home? When can I go outside of the home? Because the lie is so entrenched in our hearts and minds that the home is a concentration camp. The home, so when can I get out there? When can I really use my skills? Because, of course, you can't give the best of your skills to your family. You've got to give it out there for it to be really valuable and helpful. That's tongue-in-cheek, by the way. That's not really saying that. That's what the world says. How countercultural is this, honestly? If you get catechized by the world, you don't listen to stuff like this. You're like, nah. Put your fingers in your ears, and ladies are like, nah, I don't want to hear this. So when the kids are grown, though, there's legitimate questions because you can take care of that at home. Your kids are go gone. If your husband's still working outside of the home, then you can take care of it, and this household be great and still give the best of yourself to your husband, but you still have extra time that you didn't have when you were raising kids. It's there. So you're going to have more time outside of the home than you had before. When the kids are grown, you just have that. So working from home is a command still, but it's going to look different in different stages of life. It's just going to look different. Working outside of the home, though, should always come in second in your heart and time, even when your kids are grown. The best of yourself still should be given to your husband and your children, or husband and your house. Working from home always remains a commandment, even for older ladies. Give the best of yourself at home. There's a tragedy of a lady named Hannah Anderson. Hannah Anderson is an author, and she spent a lot of time writing and speaking and traveling and a couple years ago, one of the things that really bothered me at the Sojourn Network, it was a network that we used to be a part of, and we've left the Sojourn Network now for, for various reasons. One of the things that really disturbed us in the last Sojourn Network retreat that we went to, it was not at all that they had Hannah Anderson there. She was there speaking. Uh, this wasn't a, a, a Sunday morning Lord's Day gathering, and she was giving a talk about something. I forget what it was. It wasn't that good. Um, but she was giving a talk, and one of the things that she had said in the talk, this is the intro. 
She said, I, I began to travel so much because I have these giftings to speak and all this. And she was just talking about all these giftings that she has and wanting to use her speaking ability and giftings. And um, the irony was, um, it just, it really wasn't good. It really wasn't like, she, yes, she's gifted to do certain things. But in that context, she was not gifted for that context. But she started talking about all the abilities and gifting she had and all the opportunities she had all across the country and how she had to travel and her kids were young still and, and her husband, you know, was really stepping up. And she said, after, you know, a few years of traveling, I started feeling really guilty for being away from home. Uh, but one of the things I recognized, you know, this is a lady that's, that's teaching other women to be women. Like this is what she writes about and talks about, travels and speaks about. She said, one of the things that really ended up being a blessing in disguise is that my husband really had to step up and my kids had to step up in ways they didn't have to step up when I wasn't there. And if any man was to say something like that, like if any man was to say, I traveled away from my family, I mean, I didn't have to, I just really enjoyed it. When he used my giftings, was traveling all over the country. And I noticed my family was really suffering, but they really stepped up. You know, they really need to be there, but one of the things that I've recognized, me being absent really provides for them opportunities to grow spiritually. Because they're gonna have to lean into the Lord for things that I would, you know, you know, provide. They, they really have to, they really need to pick up where I'm, you know, you know, dropping the ball. And I just really, my kids just really started picking up the ball and running with it now that I've dropped the ball. Every one of us would say, hey, go home, buddy. Stop doing that. Go home. This is an indictment on your character. Like, providing for your family is not just out working and making money. Get home and meet some emotional needs. Get home and be present in the home. Go home, sir. But everybody just kind of nodded. Like, oh, yeah, it is. That's, oh, yeah, family did have to step up. Because she's neglecting her God-given duties. It was sad. It was foolish. And God says to her and to any other woman that would buy into such foolishness, go home. Be at home. By the way, men don't get to neglect the home. Women are called to be workers at home. What about kindness? Look at verse 5 again. Working at home, kind, kind. Women have to learn how to be kind. Young women learn this from older women. Kindness is not natural. Kindness is not natural. It's a supernatural gift. Again, kindness is a work of the Spirit in our life. It's a part of the sanctifying life. Beware of niceness. Niceness is like an unsanctified, weird and perverted kind of kindness. It's like the evil twin of kindness. Niceness is not a good thing. Kindness is the godly and the biblical virtue. Kindness knows how to be kind while remaining obedient. Niceness will abandon the truth for the sake of false peace. You don't want to be nice. You really don't. You want to be kind. And ladies, if you have kindness, it's niceness with a backbone. It's niceness with the ability to be able to do what's required to be godly. Kindness in a home eventually produces a joyful home and a joyful home with conviction. Niceness produces a flippantly vapid happiness without any backbone or conviction. Kindness, however, has a way of building a, a lasting home 
that smiles and laughs and knows how to say, that's not right. Kindness. You have to learn how to be kind. An unkind, mean woman will have generational impact on the world. That's why earlier when we were talking about Chicken Lady, we all are like, yeah. Because a mean woman, a mean old woman, has a generational impact on the world. You remember how mean so-and-so was? Yes. You don't want to be like that. Some of you have mean older women in your life. Maybe in your family. My mother's grandmother was a very mean and critical woman. And I still hear about it. So this is however many generations back. And a mean, cynical old woman can do a lot of damage, leave that wake. Just like a neglectful man can leave a wake of damage, that woman who is not kind, who is just simply mean, can leave that damage. They will remember you for your meanness, but a kind woman with conviction, like real biblical kindness, she leaves a legacy. What about submission to your husband? What about that? Submission to their own husbands. Kind and submissive to their own husbands. God has made an orderly world. Orderly. An orderly world. It's a world of authority and submission. Wives are under the authority of their husbands. Let me say that again. Wives are under the authority of their husbands. They are equally valuable. Men and women, equal value. But they are unequal in authority. There's two things in the scriptures that show the beauty of this. Number one is that the church submission to Christ shows us the glory of submission. As the church submits to Christ, there's beauty, there's transformation, there's love, there's care, there's, there's care that's given. But also, Jesus' incarnational submission to the Father shows us the glory of this as well. To look at the word submission and to bump against that and say, you know, I don't like that. Nobody likes to submit today. Don't submit to anybody. Uh, and we looked a little bit last week about how for some reason this word is acceptable if the wife goes and submits to a CEO or submits to a boss or a board. That's acceptable out there. But the feminist lie is you can submit to anybody but your husband. Just don't submit to your husband. Submit to a boss. Submit to an idea. Submit to the way of the world. But do not, whatever you do, do not submit to your husband. But the Bible says wives are to submit, be submissive to their own husbands. Now, let's talk about what submission isn't really, and then, and then let's talk about what submission is. So, um, what submission is not? Submission is not obeying your husband or submitting to your husband when he goes against the delegated and regulated authority given to him by God. We've learned a lot about this in the state the last couple of years. A husband is to lead like Christ leads the church. He is to set the vision for the family. He is to set the direction for the family. This is where we're going. He's to protect and provide for his wife. He is the spiritual leader. Men, don't make your wives Please, every man, and we're going to talk to young men next week, don't make your wives feel like they need to lead the family spiritually. When we hear this authority given to us, delegated and regulated by God to us, here's the authority. Submission means there is an authority in the home. That means, men, if you're married, you're the authority in your home, God-given authority. And you've got to wield that well. You don't lord that power over anybody. And for the husband to neglect this God-given duty, we've already seen, is to be worse than an unbeliever. So ladies, if a husband 
is in sin and asking you to sin along with him, please hear me. You should not submit to that. He is in violation of his God-given and God-regulated authority. If your husband ever says anything like this to you, honey, I don't want you to go to church anymore. Disobey. Don't submit to that. You belong to King Jesus. Obey Jesus. If you have a husband that says, baby, I want you to do this sinful thing or that sinful thing or lie for me or hide the truth here, you do not do that. Do not submit. If he is hurting you physically or verbally sinfully towards you, do not submit to that. You are called to be his helper, not his enabler. So you've got to expose that. You've got to come to the elders. You've got to come to friends and you've got to say, I, I've got, there's no way I can help him other than exposing the sin and getting help. If there's some law that's been broken, that needs to be reported to the authorities. So submission is not being a doormat. Submission is not submitting yourself to some spousal abuse. Submission is not going along with unlawful commands from your husband. But submission certainly is something. Submission is to be his helper. Submission is to follow his lead. So what is submission? Submission is following the leadership of your husband, following his direction. If he is leading the family and not leading the family into sin, even if it's something you just wouldn't prefer, I, I don't like that, but it's not sin, follow his leadership. Man, this is a huge responsibility given to us. Ladies, it's a responsibility given to you. Submit to your own husbands. You might think, I don't like his leadership. Okay, submit to him. Help him then. Help. When a man is trying to lead his family, it's very easy for the wife to not help him, but just simply vote present and just be there, but not actually help, and then just say you're submitting. Uh, some of the joyless submission out there is when a wife refuses to be on a mission with her husband. When the husband says, this is the direction, this is where we're going, after of course prayer and talking with his wife, honey, this is what we need to do, this is where we need to go. It's not just good and godly submission just to be present and be like, all right, I'm along for the ride. Help that mission. Be caught up in a mission bigger than yourself. Help the mission from financial goals to how many sports our kids are going to play to are we going on vacation or not this year to what church are we going to be a part of? What are we going to do for family worship? Have the conversations and then trust him with the decision and help him see it come to fruition. Husbands, that requires us to be decisive and not flip floppy. Husbands in the room, do you guys find it sometimes difficult to make a decision? I'm a pretty decisive person, but it's hard for me to make a decision sometimes. Even my wife saying, honey, it's your call. Toby Sumter said this, it comes down to this. When you get in an argument after leaving church, where are we going to go to lunch? And you're going to, you know, that verbal ping pong that goes on. I don't know where you want to go. I don't know. Where do you want to go? And then like 10 minutes later, you're still in the parking lot. Like, where? I don't, what do you want really? I don't care. What do you want? No, really. It would really make me happy if you just tell me what you wanted. But it would make me happy if you just tell me what you wanted. Well, Toby Sumter says, make a decision, man. Talk, make a decision and go to that restaurant. Older ladies, you're going to teach this through discipleship to younger women. How do you joyfully submit? How do you joyfully help younger women find older women who joyfully know how to submit and help their husbands and then learn from them? And why is this important? We're wrapping this up. Why, is these, why are these things important for younger women? Well, we're told, and submissive to your own husbands, the end of verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
that the word of God may not be reviled. There are consequences to rejections of to rejection of these commandments. There's consequences. When young women refuse to embrace what God has called them to, the word of God gets reviled by them. And it's the truth, is it not? From women in the world who hate commandments like these, do we not see them reviling the word of God? I mean, people say vile things about God and his word. An angry woman who's rebelling against God's word reviles his word all the time. And how many women do we see like this who reject what God has for them because like Eve, I know better, I know better. I don't like his word, I don't like God's word, I don't like his restrictions, I know how to fulfill myself better, I know what's really gonna fulfill me, so I'm not going to do what God has commanded me to do because I know best. Men still standing by, you do you girl. Power to you, future's women. And the word of God gets slandered. How many times do we hear people say, even amongst just effeminate pastors who will not speak to women, in articles and blogs and books that go along right with the lies of the enemy and say things like this, God does not really speak to women as women. You're just a human being. You're a Christ follower just like all women. You have the same brain, the same heart. We just have different bodies. There's no differences between men and women. There's people that believe this. Really. Maybe that's true in some weird fantasy land, but it's not true in reality. It really isn't. When a, re when a woman rejects the love of her husband and her children, self-control, purity, working from home, kindness, and submission to her husband, she becomes an ugly brute. She becomes like the worst of men. And that's what feminists call virtue. Talked about that last, last week. Feminists want women to be like the worst of men. Say, so that's womanhood. No, that's the worst of manhood. And sadly, for 120 years or so, pastors, society, pretty much everybody has encouraged and enabled women to revile the word of God in anger. A woman who rejects these things. Listen to how good these words are. The spirit at work in the life of a woman recognizes these words and, and, and is like, yes, that's good. Do not reject loving your husband and children. Don't reject self-control. Don't reject purity or working from home or kindness or submission to your husband. Don't, don't reject those things. Embrace them and say, if God has been so kind to me to send his son to die for me, why would I not take my marching orders from King Jesus? Why would I not just say, okay, guys, I'm thankful we have a room full of ladies here. And if you're new here, women, you're new here, there's a room full of women here who are real women. They're not like that awful professor you have over there that, or wherever, that is rah, 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 women, women, women. They're actually real women. And they want to obey King Jesus. Um, I'm thankful for the ladies that are here. I'm thankful that you want to obey the Lord. So what we see in the world, we should not see within the people of God. Daughters of God know what Christ has done for them. They understand God's grace to them, and they are grateful women. They have joy, 
Godly young women do not doubt God's word like Eve did. And instead of reviling God's word, they cherish it. Young women hear these good words and they say, yes, Father, thank you for your good direction in my life. Thank you for your grace. Give me the power to obey. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace this, this to us. God, I thank you that we don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed of your word. In fact, you tell us in Mark 9 that if we're ashamed of you and your words, that you're going to be ashamed of us before our Father who is in heaven. So we want to read these words and respond to them. No matter how culturally inappropriate they are, we want to read and respond to them with a good, hearty yes and amen. I thank you for the young women in here and the older women in here who are real godly women. Who I'm just so thankful for the ladies that are here. And God, I pray that this would be a culture where older women are teaching young, younger women and that households are being built and that generations are being impacted and the world moves forward in a better way in the coming generations than we had in previous generations as the household has been systematically dismantled decade after decade. God, help us to rebuild from the foundation up what it means to be a society. Help us to rebuild households that love and honor you, that obey you, that are full of joy and laughter. Help us as we respond to you. I trust that you're going to. In Jesus' name, amen.